1: Welcome to the Disciples of Liberty Show. Glad you could join us today. You know, I, I feel such confidence as as I start off this show uh, because I am absolutely certain that there is no such thing as a mass formation psychosis taking hold of a large segment of our population. And I can hear you saying Al Brian, how can you how can you say something with such utmost confidence? How can you assert that there is no such thing as a mass formation psychosis? And the answer is because all the major propaganda organs of our time, including the big tech, mass media, and all of their political allies, Time Magazine and Politico and CBS and MSN and ABC and Facebook and the Washington Post and factcheck.org, they all have concluded unanimously that no such thing exists. (laughs) And if we can't trust them to tell us the truth, well, then who can we trust? All right, I'll switch off the sarcasm. You're, those of you with sarcasm detectors probably are going, why, why is my detector emitting smoke and showers of sparks? But I'm laying it on a bit thick, but holy cow. I, I try not to be too cynical and I try not to be too shocked at the, the depths of depravity to which uh, some of the narrative managers are willing to go to defy reality and to assure us you can't trust your lying eyes, you can only trust us. But even this strains incredulity. There is no evidence of mass or of pandemic mass formation psychosis, say the fact checkers. Well, gee, we ought to probably listen to them then, right? Actually, it's a pretty serious issue, and it's probably something that you have tapped into yourself, wondering how can so many people be so utterly uh, cowed? by information that is not holding up to the light of reality. And this is particularly true regarding the pandemic. And I I, I I, hate to hesitate because I want to be a truth speaker who just, you know, boldly says, look, this is what needs to be said. But I also have to consider, you know, that there are certain catch catchphrases or keywords that uh, algorithms out there in artificial intelligence are trying desperately to sniff out and snuff out before they can make it to the eyes of too many members of the public. It's kind of curious. You know, there was a time when it seemed like truth was enough to stand on its own and, you know, people could be trusted to access as many facts as possible. In fact, it was encouraged. No, 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 get a look at as many different ways of looking at the issue as you want to and then come to your own decision. That's not the times that we live in, though. And when you hear phrases like mass formation psychosis, I think Dr. Robert Malone is, is actually one who has been using this a lot to describe how such a large section of the population finds itself in, in a trance or under the, the spell of uh, a bunch of authoritarian Spengalis who have, have basically cranked up their control over the masses. So I guess we start with what exactly is a mass formation psychosis? And thankfully there are people who have uh, have offered some some really great ideas on this. The uh, idea factory for instance has a marvelous video. It's about 16 and a half minutes long. I just want to play a couple of minutes for you because I want you to I want you to hear some of the basic concepts behind the manufacturing of a mass psychosis. Actually it's the Academy of Ideas. I want to make sure I'm giving proper billing here. Can sanity return to an insane world? This is their latest video, and I strongly recommend you check it out for yourself.
0: The masses have never thirsted after truth. They turn aside from evidence that is not to their taste, preferring to deify error if error seduced them. Whoever can supply them with illusions is easily their master. Whoever attempts to destroy their illusions is always their victim. Diseases of the body can spread through a population and reach epidemic proportions. But so too can diseases of the mind. And of these epidemics of the latter variety, the mass psychosis is the most dangerous. During a mass psychosis, madness becomes the norm in a society, and delusionary beliefs spread like a contagion. But as delusions can take many forms, and as madness can manifest in countless ways, The specific manner in which a mass psychosis unfolds will differ based on the historical and cultural context of the infected society. In the past, mass psychoses have led to witch hunts, genocides, and even dancing manias. But in the modern era, it is the mass psychosis of totalitarianism that is the greatest threat. Totalitarianism, writes Arthur Versluis, is the modern phenomenon of total centralized state power, coupled with the obliteration of individual human rights. In the totalized state, there are those in power, and there are the objectified masses, the victims. In a totalitarian society, the population is divided into two groups, the rulers and the ruled, and both groups undergo a pathological transformation the rulers are elevated to an almost godlike status which is diametrically opposed to our nature as imperfect beings who are easily corrupted by power the masses on the other hand are transformed into the dependent subjects of these pathological rulers and take on a psychologically regressed and
1: childlike status okay i'm going to stop it here but you get the idea and and i know it look for myself included, the idea that uh, this could not be happening right now, that's the first thing I want to think, because I don't want to believe, first of all, that that kind of mendacity is a part of the world that we live in. But secondly, I don't want to be caught up in it. And I understand, you know, that there's there's a real concern about, I would be so ashamed to think that I was so easily duped and I was, you know, pulled into into their spell or into, you know, their their cult of personality. But I submit for your consideration that maybe that is actually happening right now all around us today with this uh, pandemic as as a good uh, basis to to get people in fear and therefore more easily uh, manipulated, more, more, more malleable to the wishes of those who want to rule us and the systems by which they're seeking to rule us. Look, I get it if that sounds like tinfoil hat territory. Even a couple of years ago. Right. I mean, the very beginning of 2020, before the pandemic really became, you know, common knowledge and and impacted the the policies to address it, impacted our world and turned them upside down like they have. That would have sounded crazy. And I would have said, well, you, is it possible you're exam you're exaggerating things a little bit too much or maybe you uh, should cut back on your caffeine? I don't know. But after what I've witnessed over the last couple of years, and I suspect what you have seen and recognized as well. It's pretty hard to rule out the possibility, isn't it? So let's talk about how the major propaganda organs of our time have now unanimously concluded no such thing as mass formation psychosis could possibly exist. This is an article from conservativetreehouse.com. It was posted by a poster by the name of Sundance. (laughs) And it starts out with, well, butter my buns and call me a biscuit if this ain't the most if this ain't the biggest revealing tell in years. Apparently, big tech and big propaganda media, Reuters and the Associated Press have joined together to refute the concept of mass formation psychosis and pushed their collective narrative into the narrative engineering system. So here's the here's the big headline. There is no evidence of pandemic mass formation psychosis, according to Reuters and the Associated Press. And here's kind of the slug for it. Mass formation psychosis is not an academic term recognized in the field of psychology, nor is there evidence of any such phenomenon occurring in the COVID-19 pandemic. Multiple experts in crowd psychology have told Reuters and the Associated Press. Now, the article goes on to say the AP and Reuters quickly rushed to fact check To stop people from recognizing what is the most likely cause of their own psychosis. In a world where things are no longer shocking, well, this is a little shocking. And in a weird, seemingly Orwellian kind of way. Yes, Alice, the same experts in media who are credibly accused of creating and enabling the mass formation psychosis, they would like to assure us that no such reality exists. How do we know? We've asked our experts. You wouldn't question them, would you? This is almost too funny. So here's some quotes from the article. This is from the AP. This concept has no academic credibility. Stephen Riker, a social psychology professor at University of St. Andrews in the UK, wrote in an email to the Associated Press. The term also does not appear in the American Psychological Association's Dictionary of Psychology. Now, I just want to remind you that uh, the American Psychological Association is the same outfit that back in, what was it, 1973, 1974, voted to remove homosexuality from the DSM as a type of mental disorder. And look, I'm not trying to say let's let's reignite the whole, you know, gay rights debate here, but the bottom line is there were people who were seeking psychological treatment because they were engaging in compulsive same-sex relations. And I, I don't mean to shock, and I'm, I'm not trying to be salacious by pointing this out, but you know, even even most mainstream mental health experts, I would think, would have to say there's something that's not exactly healthy about a person who engages in anonymous sex with strangers twelve times in a row at a in a bus stop restroom or a, a truck stop restroom that's compulsive behavior and it's it's most likely you know destructive or it has it has some negative side effects to it so when the uh, american psychological association changed their their uh, categorization they didn't do it based on science it wasn't a matter of well you know we've we've discovered this and you know these peer reviewed studies have held up and it appears that uh, this is not in fact uh, a mental disorder and therefore you know, we're going to go ahead and vote to remove it. They just did it strictly on a politicized voice vote. Hey, how many of you are in favor of taking this out of the DSM? And that's what they did. If you want to read a really great book on it? A Freedom Too Far by Dr. Charles Socoritas. He's actually a psychiatrist. And uh, it's, it's a marvelous book. It's a terrific resource. All the more marvelous because... Dr. Sakharidis can hardly be accused of being some Bible-thumping fundamentalist Christian who hates gays or anything like that. He has a son who is homosexual. He has, uh, you know, great compassion for people trying to deal with compulsive, pathological behavior. And this is not to say that every person who is gay is doing that. But my point is there were people who were seeking help for it because it was a mental health concern for them. So when the Dictionary of Psychology or the American Psychological Association says, well, we don't recognize anything like this, just understand that for a long time, at least close to 50 years, they have been so politicized that they are willing to change their tune according to the doctrines of whichever way the wind is blowing and what's fashionable at that time. Okay, back to the article. Sorry for that uh, that sideline, but it's, it's important that, you understand these 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 institutions are not above corruption. So, psychosis in the article it says is a term that refers to conditions that involve some disconnect from reality. According to a National Inst- Institutes of Health estimate, about three percent of people experience some form of psychosis at some time in their lives. Now, the description of mass formation psychosis offered by Doctor Robert Malone resembles discredited concepts such as mob mentality and group mind according to John Drury, a social psychologist at the University of Sussex in the U.K., who studies collective behavior. The ideas suggest that when people form part of a psychological crowd, they lose their identities and their self-control, they become suggestible, and primitive instinctive impulses predominate, he said in an email. Drury said the notion has been discredited by decades of research on crowd behavior. No respectable psychologist agrees with these ideas now. Now, multiple experts told the AP that while there is evidence that groups can shape or influence one's behaviors and that people can and do believe falsehoods that are put forth by the leader of a group, those concepts do not involve the masses experiencing psychosis or hypnosis. Now, there's more in this, and and you can probably link, uh, we'll link to this in the show notes so you can check this out for yourself, but the assurance is that no, no, no respectable psychologist would ever agree to this. Well, maybe I'd like to know what uh, some of the less than respectable psychologists are saying. Because I believe in getting the best, most well-rounded view. I want to see this from a different vantage point. And the idea that, uh, well, you know, there's no such thing as group mind or mob mentality. Really? So everything we saw playing out over the summer of 2020 was just, you know, enlightened individuals making their best choices, living their best life or something like that. Yeah, I don't buy it. Reuters, by the way, offers this simultaneous rebuttal of the idea of mass psychosis or mass formation psychosis, saying mass formation psychosis is not an academic term recognized in the field of psychology, nor is there evidence of any such phenomenon occurring during the COVID-19 pandemic. Multiple experts in crowd psychology have told Reuters, who are these experts? And what exactly have they said? And where is the evidence to back up what they're saying? Well, Reuters says, there is no evidence to suggest a mass formation psychosis has occurred during the pandemic, experts told Reuters. The term itself is not recognized among academics, and modern research into crowd psychology has shown that crowds do not behave in mindless or non-individualistic ways. Again, anybody who was watching rioting, I'm sorry, mostly peaceful protests and the like, might beg to differ. This is not to say that, you know, every conspiracy theory out there is true. But for crying out loud, the very people who have been trying to scare not just the American people, but the world into compliance with increasingly draconian and totalitarian measures. Now, these are the same experts that are stepping up and saying, well, you know, in our field of study, we don't recognize this. Who cares for that matter? Who believes you at this point? your credibility is shot so yeah give us give us some evidence instead of assuring us that no 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 we we haven't been manipulating people's fears and we haven't triggered people into behaving you know in in bizarre and incredibly antisocial ways i'm i'm thinking of the 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 woman who confronted a man last week and i can't even remember where this was he he just said look i was i saw this on twitter the guy was like hey i'm standing at this at the store And this woman comes up, pulls her mask out, and spits on me because I'm not wearing a mask. Okay, in what universe is that rational behavior? Where would that be a sign of a person who is thinking clearly and rationally and, hey, look, buddy, I'm just trying to help you, but uh, we've got a pandemic going on here, and we've got a, we all have to do our part. No, she went right to stark, raving, spittle-flinging lunatic. But there's no mass psychosis going on, so, you know, the experts have assured us, and even if there was, they don't recognize it, at least under their definition. Going back to the article here, again from conservativetreehouse.com. Once a collective group creates an alternative or an alternate reality of itself, in this case a totalitarian reality, based on government needing to create an irrational illusion of fear that becomes part of the accepted national identity, how can anyone call attention to the outcomes without finding themselves in front of the Board of Inquisition who organizes the collective? As a rather prescient uh, Lewis Carroll shared so brilliantly in his novel Alice Through the Looking Glass, if I had a world of my own, everything would be nonsense. Nothing would be what it is because everything would be what it isn't. And contrarywise, what is wouldn't be. And what it wouldn't be, it would. You see? So, put another way, If the pod under your bed malfunctioned, but the pods under all the other beds in the city worked, what happens when you awaken and you realize you are not one of them, but you must engage in the world of them while looking for others like yourself, whose pods hopefully malfunctioned? That's the current challenge right now for anyone trying to communicate on contrary evidence and yet avoid the ire from the collective board of COVID compliance who've successfully brainwashed the audience. So that's where we are. Cheers. <laughs> I still believe that there's a lot of of Marxist disinformation that uh, that goes into this this brainwashing and and psychopolitics. You know, and I, I'm not the kind of person who's looking for communists under every rock and behind every bush. But I definitely seem to, to see a pattern that has emerged, and, and I see this not only in the people who are denying that there's any kind of mass psychosis. People aren't really freaked out and and doing crazy things, you know. Look, have you seen some of the extent that people have gone to to try to uh, to avoid, you know, COVID? How many times they've been willing to go get jabbed with the assurance, well, if you just everybody just do this, or does this, or if enough people do this, why we can get our lives back? No. You're never going to be fully vaccinated for the people in power, because as long as they have that card in their hands, as long as they can hold this over your head, well, we'll tell you when you're fully vaccinated. They're just going to keep moving the goalposts. And that's what they've done. And the good news is there are a lot of people right now righteously pissed off because they went out there thinking that they were going to do the right thing. Well, it's a sacrifice. I don't really want to do this, but it's for the good of society. And, you know, the nurse who gave me the shot, gave me a piece of candy, told me I'm a hero for what I'm doing. Oh, you think I'm making that up? I'm not. That's that's legitimately how many uh, medical establishments have handled it. And so they go in there and they do this. And again, sometimes against their will, they go and they get the vaccine and, Maybe they have an adverse reaction. Maybe they don't. But the bottom line is those promises about if everybody or at least if enough people will do this, we can get back to normal. It doesn't happen. They're still required to wear masks. They're still required to socially distance. They now have to carry papers. You want to know what the definition of irony is? The Holocaust Museum requires people to show their vaccination papers before they are allowed admittance. I wish I was joking. I'm not. So the good news is there are people who are recognizing, hey, we were told one thing. We were told that this vaccine would slow the spread or stop the spread. It clearly doesn't. In fact, uh, just over the weekend, CDC uh, Director uh, uh, Rochelle Walensky was on the air on television talking about how, well, we've reached the point now where the vaccine cannot stop the spread of the virus, then what's the freaking point? And these people are getting really ticked off because they realize they've been lied to. They've been manipulated. Come on, witch burning was a real thing? The panic that struck much of the eastern United States in uh, the broadcast of War of the Worlds back in 1939. That was a very real thing. People became disconnected from reality because of fear. And we're supposed to pretend like, but that could never happen in our day and age. Especially, it could never happen over a virus that nobody can see, but that we're told to presume is lurking everywhere. I mean, it's sad. It's really sad. And none of this is to suggest that there is no virus. There is, you know, I personally... I believe, yeah, COVID is, is a real virus. I also happen to believe that it's likely a human-engineered virus, which means the people doing gain-of-function research, trying to make it more communicable, are not the kind of people that you and I want to be associated with, whether they're from the Chinese Communist Party or working on their behalf, or whether they're from our own government. Not good people. Like, we should separate ourselves from them quickly and permanently. And not... Uh, not plan on palling around or rubbing shoulders with them again. I guess this illustrates why it's so important that you have to be willing to challenge the prevailing narratives. You have to be willing to to question what people in power are telling you when they're sitting there telling you and you all and when it's like unanimous, all these systems of propaganda, all the narrative managers, all the king's horses, all the king's men are telling you there's no such thing as a mass psychosis right now you know given their track record and given their penchant of playing fast and loose with the truth i mean i'd be pretty hesitant to believe anything that they say and there's nothing wrong or there's nothing you know alternative or fringe about uh, having that kind of suspicion this is just something that's born out of observation and the recognition that uh, there's a lot of liars And there are people in power who would definitely lie to try to keep you under their thumb and doing what they tell you. We'll be back in a few moments. This is the Disciples of Liberty show on the America Out Loud Network.
0: Let's get real. Let's get loud. On America Out Loud Talk Radio, this is McCullough Report. Are you tired of your tired vitamins? Consider Healthy Cell. These are pill-free vitamins that are in convenient gel packs Uh, I like the focus and recall supplement. I use this a lot. You know, your brain uses a lot of energy and it depends on a variety of micronutrients and vitamins. Boost your short-term focus and long-term brain power with Healthy Cell's focus and recall vitamins. So go to HealthyCell.com, use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any Healthy Cell product. Let's get real, let's get loud on America
2: Out Loud Talk Radio. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only eight seconds, one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. liberty and justice for all.
1: Once again, welcome back to the Disciples of Liberty Show here on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Brian Hyde. And I'm coming to the conclusion that if you want to speak the truth these days, you've got to have a stainless steel backbone and a couple of big brass ones to go along with it. You know, the masses are conditioned to see people like you and me who question what we're being told, the the wrong thinkers of society, we're being portrayed as the cause of their misery. And I think we know that's not the case, but uh, you know what? If enough people believe it, they start acting like it. So what do you do in a case like this? Well, I think you speak the truth as best you can, but you also speak the truth and learn how to persuade people without just simply trying to dominate them. I wanted to touch on this briefly. Gary Barnett, uh, in an article published on LewRockwell.com, says, we can never stop speaking out because only the truth will set us free. And he starts with a quote from William Faulkner. It says, never be afraid to raise your voice for honesty and truth and compassion against injustice and lying and greed. If people all over the world would do this, it would change the earth. Now, this is kind of a follow-up to our discussion about uh, mass psychosis in the last segment. Gary Barnett says we now live in a world consumed by what is currently being referred to as mass formation psychosis. The phenomenon's not new, but it is very real. And considering today's fake pandemic madness, it has overwhelmed the entire planet at once. This has never happened before on this scale in human history. So the risk of this collective insanity is nothing short of total devastation at the hands of tyrants. While the term mass formation has taken center stage as of late... This is simply a collective mentality where most all think as one in order to gain approval of the group, to force communal gathering for the purpose of perceived safety, cling to the social norm of the moment, and, of course, vilify any who choose not to, perf- not to conform. This has been properly compared to societal mass hypnosis, but, again, never on such a scale as we're seeing today. It happened in Stalinist Russia, in Nazi Germany. It also happens in the build-up to war. False flag events used in the past in this country to stoke great fear have been able to achieve majority approval and collective support for heinous events. This happened due to the pre-planned attack on Pearl Harbor to get the people behind World War II. It happened in the lead up to the Vietnam War due to the fake Gulf of Tonkin attack. It happened in the staged terror attack of 9-11 to falsely legitimize the aggressive war in the Middle East and many other instances throughout history. January 6th is probably another good example of this, but, uh, you know, we're still still doing some fact finding on, on that matter. Nonetheless, Gary Barnett says these events in the past caused a breakdown of intellect, majority support for the evil state and succumbing to the whims of the ruling class, which led to any sorts of abuses, not only against the victims of war, but against the domestic populations as well. And while this tyranny levied by the state is always obvious to those who do not accept and always question the mainstream narrative, they are few in number compared to the compliant herd. Now, mass psychosis has captivated the globe all due to a purposely fabricated hoax called a coronavirus pandemic. This time it is extreme worldwide mass collectivism brought about due to lies, global collusion and conspiracy causing unlimited crowd ignorance. Barnett says once the individual is sacrificed for the meaningless common good and the brainwashed hordes gather together in complete irresponsible solidarity, all aspects of sanity disappear in favor of idiotic groupthink. Once this occurs, totalitarian policies advance in full view of all, but are mostly ignored by the general mob seeking to remain ignorant of reality. Accepting, understanding, and verifying the truth are all that would be necessary so that individual clarity could be achieved, and something universally shunned by most but brutally evident today. People tend to see only what they want to see in order to establish and retain social recognition, social acceptance, and comfort in knowing that they are part of a majority and not alone. Regardless of the weakness and great folly of this type of behavior, it's a part of humanity that's always existed. But it has been partially, usually, has been partially and temporarily discarded over time as the prevailing narrative break da- breaks down. But this hasn't been the case in the current manufactured virus crisis. As the entire globe has been engulfed in this heavily propagated fraud. Gary Barnett says at no time in history has every country on earth acted in concert to push a single narrative. Even the thought of this happening is still mind-boggling, but it has happened nonetheless. This fact alone exposes that the herd mentality of the human animal is not only real, but inherent to the psyche of modern man. And in order for something of this magnitude to take place, it is evident that the human population has regressed substantially considering intellectual growth, responsibility, confidence in self, and a belief in the individual nature of man. They have instead been conditioned and accepted their indoctrination voluntarily only for reliance on a false sense of comfort and the safety of the crowd and dependency on others instead of self. Although people are social creatures, what has sustained humanity has been the individual effort, tenacity, courage, and strong driving force to be free. Well, those traits now only exist with a small minority. And if that minority is eliminated or driven out, the downfall of man will be the result. Now that's why those of us who know the truth can never stop speaking out and spreading that truth. Speaking truth to power is vitally important and necessary, but it's not enough. Speaking truth to all, everywhere, to all willing to listen and doing so continuously in order to wake the hypnotically controlled minds of the masses is imperative. What was once considered to be a somewhat normal society with a higher percentage of individual thinkers over time became a controlled, indifferent society, dependent on foreign substances to calm all their anxieties. Courage, toughness, confidence in the body's natural ability to fight off life's diseases and mental anxieties disappeared in favor of an escape from reality. This escape was fomented in in part by the indoctrination and dumbing down of the general population with the help of the same financial, educational, medical, pharmaceutical, and governing bodies responsible for the creation of this pandemic. Germ theory alone allowed for the mass distribution of chemical remedies for almost every ailment and every so-called mental condition. This leading to a society fully dependent on fake psychological diagnoses of fictitious maladies and the use of non-natural drug treatments. And the result has been the creation of a societal shift from one of more prevalent personal responsibility to one of almost total dependence. And it happened incrementally, affecting the physical body and also the minds of individuals and resulting in a collective dependency by the masses. So what's being called mass formation, which naturally leads to mass psychosis, has become the norm, not only in this country, but in the rest of the world as well. Is it any wonder then that we're in this state of madness and fast-approaching world totalitarianism? Gary D. Barnett says, Never relent, never keep quiet, and always speak against the state and its false narratives. He counsels never sit idle in the face of tyranny, And never allow apathy to invade your psyche. In other words, don't quit writing, making podcasts and videos, and spreading all factual information so that others, even those with closed minds, have at least the opportunity to see the light. The truth is our salvation. So the more of us exposing the lies, the more of us with courage to speak out, the more of us willing to disobey orders and mandates, the more chance that others may follow suit. He says, silence is not an option unless servitude is to be guaranteed. The masses together will never listen, but there are always individual members of that group who will break rank and actually think for themselves if given the proper ammunition to trigger an awakening. And he ends with a quote from Gustave Le Bon, The Crowd, a study of the popular mind. The masses have never thirsted after truth. Whoever can supply them with illusions is easily their master. Whoever attempts to destroy their illusions is always their victim. Well, that certainly rings true. Now, I want to shift gears for a moment here and talk about then, okay, so let's say that we want to uh, work to change people's minds. We want to help bring things to other people's attention. Surely there has to be some way to do this other than just simply, you know, dominating people. And frankly... If you're serious about changing minds rather than just establishing your dominance over others, you've probably already learned that persuasion requires humility, requires gentleness. Most importantly, and I guess this is probably the best way to say it, it requires respect for the other person. Annie Holmquist, who is the editor of, of intellectualtakeout.org, has some time-tested advice from Ben Franklin on how to change the minds of those with whom you disagree. And whatever failings Ben Franklin may have had, his advice rings very true in this regard. Annie Holmquist writes, ah, it's January, another year. That means it's also time for fresh starts and new goals. Now, she says, one of my goals this year is to finally read the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. And she says, although I've perused large portions of it in the past, reading it straight through has been on my to-do list for some time now that I've started My copy is already filling up with underlining and penciled notes in the margin. Okay, I need to hit the pause button here real quick because you and I were taught by our mothers never write in a book, especially a library book. And that's probably good advice. If it's somebody else's book, don't do it. But if you are a serious reader, this is how you separate the serious readers from the casual readers or the people who are just skimmers who claim to be readers. Serious readers underline things that stand out to them. They write questions in the margins of their books. They offer annotations that someone, maybe their children, maybe their grandchildren, maybe a friend that they share the book with, will see and go, oh, interesting. They're, they were really struck by this concept, or they have this question, or they disagree on this point. This is an immensely powerful thing to do. And even though our moms taught us, don't you write in books, I'm here to countermand that uh, commandment here and tell you it's a good idea. There are different ways to read. I mean, you can read a book, you know, you can just skim it, you can you can give it some real in-depth study. But if you want to really grasp the knowledge that you're going after, you got to be willing to write almost as much as you're reading. And from there, it goes into syntopical, where you're reading multiple sources on the same subject. You're writing and taking notes. What do they agree on? What do they disagree on? And then, you know, come to your own conclusions. But it it takes effort. I just want you to know this, because I think this this shows that Annie Holmquist is someone I think we can safely regard as a serious reader. So I'm inclined to take her message a little more seriously, because I believe she's probably put in the time to understand what she's saying. All right. Unpause. Let's get back to her article on how to change the minds of those with whom you disagree. Hitting page 13 of the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, she says, I came across a nugget of wisdom perfect for our times in which many strong and polarizing opinions flow freely. Franklin is discussing his journey and learning how to properly persuade and inform others while in conversation rather than to simply debate and argue with them. Now, she says, having been on both the giving and receiving end of such argumentative conversations in the last year, as I'm sure have many of you, I found Franklin's remarks a gentle reminder that if we are to win the world to our way of thinking, we must practice effective methods of persuasion. So Franklin begins by saying, I wish well-meaning, sensible men would not lessen their power of doing good by a positive, assuming manner showing that our influence on others is reduced by an attitude of overconfidence. Franklin says that this type of approach seldom fails to disgust, tends to create opposition, and to defeat every one of those purposes for which speech was given to us, to wit, giving or receiving information or pleasure. Now Annie Holmquist says, to test the truth of this statement... One need only look to the news media, which have made a habit of condescendingly telling the American public what to do. Their trustworthiness in the eyes of Americans dropped to the second lowest on record in 2021, a Gallup poll showed. If all we're interested in is running our mouths and showing our own importance, not in persuading others to adopt our ideas, then we should follow in the media's steps, for as Ben Franklin says, A positive and dogmatical manner in advancing your sentiments may provoke contradiction and prevent a candid attention. Now Annie Holmquist says, those who never pause to hear and consider the other side are also unlikely to convince their opponents. Franklin says, if you wish information and improvement from the knowledge of others and yet at the same time express yourself as firmly fixed in your present opinions, modest, sensible men who do not love disputation will probably leave you undisturbed in the possession of your error. And by such manner, he says, you can seldom hope to recommend yourself in pleasing your hearers or to persuade those whose concurrence you desire. End quote. So Annie Holmquist says, assume the best of your listeners. That's what Franklin's recommending. Acting not as though you're schooling them for their own good, but calmly suggesting facts and insights as though they're not a big deal. Franklin concludes his reflection on persuasion by quoting Alexander Pope. Men should be taught as if you taught them not, and things unknown and proposed as things forgot, to speak though sure with seeming diffidence. Now see, I run that through my translator and I think, okay, so he's suggesting just be humble. Lose the need to win when you're having a conversation with someone else. Part of that comes down to questioning, you know, why am I doing this? Why am I having this discussion in the first place? And if the goal is simply to show somebody that I'm smarter than you and I'm better than you, I know more than you do, well, then there's a real chance you're doing it for the wrong reason. Annie Holmquist says, look, this last year has been full of opportunities to debate. And those debates will likely only continue. So whether you want to convince others to take the vaccine or to avoid it, that Trump won or that he's an absolute moron or that you're correct about any number of other polemical positions, why not take a page out of Franklin's book? She says, if your mission is only to prove your own self-importance and knowledge, then by all means, enter every discussion with an argumentative mindset and pound your views into the heads of your listeners. But if your mission is to persuade and present the truth in hopes that your hearers will take heed, well, then try Franklin's suggestions. She says, in the end, such winsomeness as he advises may just change the world, or at least your corner of it. I happen to agree. And I I agree because I have learned through my own sad experience that, you know, the dominance thing makes for, it makes for some fun radio. And I spent uh, the very first few years of my talk radio career as a dedicated red meat throwing, I'll argue with you about anything kind of guy. And it was fun. And, and believe it or not, you can build a pretty good audience, you know, by, by throwing down like that on a daily basis. But at some point, my conscience started to make itself felt. And I started to realize okay. I'm getting good at what I'm doing. I'm, I'm getting people riled up. You know, there's, there's people writing letters to the editor, complaining and praising me, fighting each other over me. It's, it's really kind of flattering. But this question popped into my head and it would not go away. And the question was, am I actually doing anything good? Is this doing something productive other than just getting people riled up? And I knew what the answer was. The answer was no, of course not. How could it? Right, if you're just bringing more anger or more contention into an already contentious situation, you know, you're just adding fuel to the fire. Nobody has changed my thinking more on what it means to to try to speak to the brainwashed with the understanding that all of us are brainwashed and have been, you know, from a pretty early age. It was the writings of Paul Rosenberg now, he blogs at a website called freemansperspective.com. And I'd recommend any of his essays. He has a real knack for for clarity in his writing and succinctness and being able to take uh, difficult concepts and distill them down into the basic elements. Very, very worthwhile. But I will be forever indebted to him for introducing me to the idea that if you want to speak to people in a way that actually changes their heart or changes their mind. It gives them the opportunity to see new truth. The very first thing you're gonna to have to do is lose the need to win. I know that sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? But how how can they know that I'm right if I'm not, you know, clearly in the dominant position? Well, again, what's your motive your motivation? If your motivation just is to look bigger and badder and smarter than everybody else, then no, you don't, you don't want to speak the truth with love. You want to beat your chest and, you know, blow up and, you know, do this gorilla type dominance thing for them. If, on the other hand, you really want to change somebody's mind, you speak the truth in love. And give them every opportunity, if they don't want to hear it or they want to reject it, to do so. And you don't take it personal if somebody says, no, I don't agree with that. Rather than doubling down and trying to get them to admit, but can't you see how right I am? It's okay to say, oh, okay, then then I guess we don't agree on that. But presented with humility and without an insistence that you have to think this way, I can tell you from firsthand experience, it gives them the option to examine whatever it is that you have shared with them on their own terms at their own pace, without feeling threatened or feeling like they're going to have to save face because, oh my gosh, it looks like you might be right. And even people who have reached out and, and, and very openly and publicly criticized me or called me out, you know, on my program and, and uh, you know, just dressed me down, you are this and you are that, I found that if I didn't respond in kind, if I just, you know, took the hits, kept on smiling, Maybe that maybe they were spoiling for an argument and I just, you know, politely excuse myself. You know what? This, this started off as a conversation. Now it feels more like a fight. I would rather not fight with you. And you walk away from the conversation. Some people will say, well, it's turning tail and running. It's giving them the opportunity to consider what you have to say without, you know, coming to blows over it. And so many times I've seen people come back. Sometimes months, sometimes years later, and say I've had time to think about what uh, what you said, or I have misjudged you, and I'm sorry about that. But the key is lose that need to win. You'll be amazed. I know I was amazed. I at first I thought this can't, this can't possibly work. I've seen it work, and in reality, I, I look at it now and think, how could I have missed this before? The only time I've ever changed my life or changed my mind in such a way that I'm willing to adapt that new truth into my life, It's when someone shared it with me in a way where I felt loved, I felt valued, and it was absolutely clear that it's, it's up to you to decide what to do with this information. I was free to reject, to reject it or free to embrace it. But it gave me time to think about it. I hope that makes sense. All right, I have one more thing to share with you. This is kind of a neat article from Jeffrey Tucker. And I don't know how anybody who followed the Supreme Court hearing on, uh, you know, vaccine mandates in the workplace being enforced by OSHA. I don't know how anybody could have listened to that exchange last week and come away with the impression that uh, our judiciary hasn't been fatally compromised by activism. Jeffrey Tucker, writing for the Brownstone Institute, that's brownstone.org, says, get the courts out of science. He says, this morning I listened to the oral arguments of the case of the Biden administration's mandates as enforced by OSHA. And he says it was a demoralizing experience. I heard some crazy things, such as a claim that 750 million Americans just got COVID yesterday, and that 100,000 kids with COVID are in the hospital, many on ventilators. Now, the correct number for that latter one is 3,300 kids with positive tests, but not necessarily suffering from COVID. He says, I further heard strong claims that the vaccines block disease spread despite every bit of evidence to the contrary. Now, Jeffrey Tucker says, it was my first time hearing oral arguments in the Supreme Court. I might have thought that facts on the ground would actually matter to people who are holding the fate of human liberty in their hands. I might have thought that they would be getting their information from somewhere other than their political intuition mixed with wildly inaccurate claims from bloggers and media pundits. But he says, I was wrong. And that's deeply alarming. Or maybe it's a wake-up call to us all. We've learned today that these people are no smarter than our neighbors. By that, he means the, the Supreme Court justices. No more qualified to address complicated questions than our friends. And arguably less informed than the Twitter sphere about basic issues of COVID and public health. Jeffrey Tucker says the backdrop of these arguments is that 74% of Americans of all ages have had at least one shot. Meanwhile, case numbers are up 500% in many places, and 721,000 new cases have been logged throughout the country. And that's obviously a large underestimate because it doesn't count at-home tests, which are selling out in stores around the country. Now, the extremely obvious point, the most basic observation one can make about this data is that vaccinations are not controlling the spread. This has already been granted by the CDC and every other authority. So no matter what people say in retrospect, Jeffrey Tucker says, I seriously doubt that anyone would have predicted a future in which the pandemic highs would be reached following mass vaccination. It's not only true in the U.S., but also all over the world. However much they help with mitigating severe outcomes of the disease, at least for a time, they've not been successful in stopping the spread of the virus. They will not end the pandemic. And yet, he says, so far as I can understand this, that's the whole point of the vaccine mandate. It's to protect workers from getting COVID. There's zero, there is no zero evidence that this is possible with mass mandates in the workforce. People can get and are getting COVID anywhere and everywhere, among which surely means the workplace, too. And the vaccine is not stopping that. What will bring this pandemic to an end will not be the vaccines, but the adaptation of human immune systems exposed and then developing resilience. Now, apparently, he says there was not one mention of natural immunity during the oral arguments, which is truly astounding. In fact, he says, from what I could hear, there was a strangely truncated environment in which no one was willing to say certain obvious truths, almost as if a preset orthodoxy had been defined at the outset. There were certain givens that were simply not questioned, namely that this is a disease without precedent, that the state can stop it, that vaccines are the best ticket we have, that the unvaccinated have absolutely no good reason to remain that way. Now, Jeffrey Tucker says, look, to be sure, the oral arguments aren't what decides a case. The briefs filed for the court are much better on the side of opposing the mandates, while the briefs for the mandates are filled with untruths that are easily exploded. In the end, he says it's very likely the mandate will be struck down in a 6-3 to three vote. And I'm glad for that. We should be relieved. However, we need to do some serious thinking about what's going on here. We are talking about a mandate that profoundly affects the health and well being of millions of people. The question of whether someone should take the vaccine is bound up with extremely complex empirical questions, and opinions run in every direction. From those who think it's the greatest gift of modern science to those who think the vaccines themselves are not only dangerous but also unleashing ever more variants. These are matters of science and they should be subject to debate, with the final choices made by individuals. But he says what absolutely cannot happen in any free, civilized and stable country is to have such fundamental questions of liberty and bodily autonomy adjudicated by a panel of lawyers who have limited curiosity in the science, a lack of knowledge about facts on the ground that are available to anyone who cares and who get their basic facts about a pandemic from TV talk shows and a prevailing media ethos that has no basis in reality. Tucker asks, how did we end up here? We need the answers to this question. Certain issues should be absolutely off-limits to the courts. Those issues pertain to fundamental questions concerning science and its application to human health. Of all things that need to be outside the realm of politics and the courts, it's these. The courts lack the competence, even if the decision goes the right way. There is no real basis for feeling relieved and secure about our future. So liberty might win this one and lose the next one. It all depends on the court appointments. That's not how a social order can operate. We need a system in which foundational issues of health, science, and liberty are outside the scope of the court system. He says the courts have been too acquiescent for too long. If we really had a functioning court system and a constitution that it followed, the forced closures of March 2020 would have been struck down in hours and ruled out as incompatible with freedom itself. He says, My highest hope is that majority opinion here, if it goes the right way, will not be narrow and evasive, picking apart the mandate based on technicalities, but rather sweeping and fundamental. It should say in no uncertain terms that this mandate should never have been issued and that the court should never have to intervene in such matters in the future. So he says, let's hope this case awakens a culture and a world to a desperate need for dramatic reform. Human rights and public health are too important to be left in the hands of high courts. I agree. I'm Brian Hyde. This is the Disciples of Liberty Show on the America Out Loud Network.